Warning. This podcast may prove to be damaging to the comfort of closely held presuppositions. Remember to practice Acts 17.11 and examine the scriptures daily to see whether these things are so. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near, and hasteth greatly. Even the voice of the day of the Lord, the mighty men shall cry there bitterly. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. A day of the trumpet, an alarm against the fenced cities and against the high towers. I will bring distress upon men, that they shall walk like blind men, because they have sinned against the Lord, and their blood shall be poured out as dust, and their flesh as the dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. But the whole land shall be devoured by fire, by the fire of his jealousy. For he shall make even a speedy riddance of all them that dwell in the land. Zephaniah chapter 1, 14 through 18. Greetings, friends. Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Sean. Website to scriptureandprophecy.com Well, I've been doing a lot of praying and fasting and things of that nature, trying to get direction and answers uh, from God over the last several months and a lot of wrestling with God, specifically where the podcast is concerned and these types of things. And something that's kind of come back to me recently that I feel like I'm being led to do uh, is a couple of things. Uh, number one, to kind of go back to the roots of the podcast, which is, if you remember, what it, how long has it been? Seven years ago? Eight years ago? I don't even remember anymore. But when we first started, it was a f- we did Bible study and things like we do now, but the main focus of the podcast, like the main episode each week was our Prophecy Podcast where we were discussing these things, looking for the coming of Jesus, and really focused on focusing on Him and being ready and watchful for His return. And while we still talk about those things, it's not been the regular focus of the podcast for a couple of years now. And I feel like God is leading me to refocus back to that. And that's not to say we're not going to do our Bible studies each week. We are. It's just to say that I think we need to get back to talking about prophecy and being very intentional about watching for the appearing of our Lord and Savior because I believe, I mean, there it's not even a belief anymore. It's just obvious fact. When we look around, when we look at what's going on, If you can't see the times you're living in, then you are like blind men, as I just read out of Zephaniah. Blind men 
because they have sinned against the Lord, and their blood will be poured out as dust. Interesting to note in that passage, Zephaniah says, Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. You see, all these people who are destroying the world, who are destroying the people, who are trying their hardest to bring hell on earth, these billionaires, there's no amount of money. There's no amount of money that's going to protect them in the day of the Lord's wrath. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath, but the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy. For he shall make an even speedy riddance of all them that dwell on the land. Today we're going to, we looked at uh, Revelation chapter 6 last week, we're going to look at chapter 7 this week. That's only 17 verses, but we've got other things to read to go along with that. And some interesting things to discuss. I do want to look at a couple of headlines this morning, but what I'm what I don't plan on doing as we move forward with this podcast is talking talking politics and reading every little uh, headline that comes out. Our focus is going to be on prophecy, but there is two things I wanted to point out. Number one, I saw this article. Uh, from the Christian Post called, and it's entitled, Evangelical Leaders Urge Pastors Not to Forsake the Teaching of Bible Prophecy, Talk in Times. Now, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, I've been screaming that from the rooftops f- for since I began. And one of my greatest criticisms to Christian pastors, at least here in the United States, is that Pastors refuse to spend time teaching and talking about the end of days. I don't know if it's a lack of confidence in their own ability to understand and interpret the scriptures. I don't know if it's ignorance. I don't know if they think that the congregation will spend more money and donate more if they talk uh, happy things. I'm, I'm not sure what the reason is, but what I can say with confidence is this stuff. The reason why my podcast is listened to by thousands of people is not because Sean is good and or Sean is great. It's because people are hungry for the truth, specifically as it relates to the season that we're in. It's because we will talk about the book of Revelation. It's because we're not afraid to look at the things written in the Dead Sea Scrolls. That's why. And so I find it so frustrating, and I resonate with the title of this article, Pastors need to be teaching this stuff. And the fact is, if their issue or the reason they're not teaching it is because they're afraid people won't want to come listen, they're wrong about that. That'd be the quickest way to fill your pews if that's your main concern. These things need to be taught. A majority of Christians are not listening to my podcast. But millions of them are packing into churches every week. And they're not being told about the times they're living in. They're just being told things will get better, things will go back to normal. It's not going back to normal. Understand the season that you're living in. That's not to say there can't be some revival. That's not to say there can't be some delays. Or that God can't restrain evil a little longer. Maybe he will, maybe he won't. But understand the season that you're living in. I got a lot of ridicule 
uh, you back in 2014, 15, when I was talking about the blood moons. And we're going to talk about it again today. And the reason that I'm bringing this up real quick is because of this article here. The longest lunar eclipse of the century is about to happen. Now, before people start getting all worked up, we were told by Jesus that there would be signs in the stars, moon, and sun. Okay? If you go to Luke chapter 21, starting with verse 25, it says, And there shall be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars, and upon the earth the stress of nation, with perplexity, the sea and the waves warring, men's hearts failing them for fear, and for looking after those things which are coming upon the earth for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. There'll be signs above that also point and indicate to the season that you're living in. The things that are becoming upon the earth will be so frightful, according to Jesus here in the book of Luke, that men will literally fall over dead from heart attacks when they see what's coming. And then they shall see the Son of Man coming in the cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to pass, then look up and lift up your head before you, because your redemption draweth nigh. These things matter. If you go back to the creation story, they, the sun, the moon, and the stars were four times and seasons. Like, I'm so sick of people acting like we're, as Christians we're not supposed to pay attention to those things. The other nonsense I've heard as well, you talked about the blood moon tetrad back in 2014 and 15, which just so conveniently happened to uh, land on Passover Sukkot, Passover Sukkot, perfectly lining up with the feast, with the feast days, which Moed for the feast in Hebrew means appointed times. We can go back to 49 and 50, I believe, is the year where that was the last time that that happened. And that is when Israel was established as a nation again. And to the argument that, well, nothing happened this time. If you're looking for like a, a big show on the day of the blood moon, I don't think that that's what, that, what the sign is. I think the sign is that, hey, things are happening and things are changing and the world has changed dramatically and desperately since 2014 2015 we had legalization of all kinds of filth and evil we had madness in the middle east and some of the policies and things that took place during that time period has led us to where we are right now there's some beautiful graphics about the with those timelines that was created by somebody named Scott Clark. Uh, but I think he got discouraged when, because he was pick, pre, 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 predicting rapture dates and things based on this and his websites down. And I couldn't find all the graphics, at least not high def anymore, which is unfortunate because they were some of the best graphics and explanations that you could find when you're looking at this stuff. Uh, the only one I did find was really bad, low quality image. Uh, if I remember, I'll try to put it up on, uh, the YouTube video. But here's, let's get back to the longest lunar eclipse of the century. Uh, let me see if I can find the date. On Thursday night, November 18th through 19th. Okay, so April, April, somewhere in that time frame. Thursday night, November 18th. 
A partial lunar eclipse will be visible throughout North America, but not just any eclipse. It'll be the longest lunar eclipse of the 21st century, lasting somewhere between th around 3 hours and 28 minutes. We have all these things going on in the earth. We have the signs above us. We have worldwide calamities. If you can't look and see the trees blooming and discern that spring is near, I just don't know what to tell you. At this point, anybody denying the times they're living in is willful ignorance and desperate clinging to the world. It's time people woke up. It's interesting, we're not going to get into the parable today, but the parable of the ten virgins. It says, the, 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 and remember, Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is like this, and then he tells a short story to symbolize what's going on. And the ten maidens, or ten virgins, it says that they all fell asleep. Now, some of them were wise and prepared in advance and entered into the marriage supper, right? And half of them were foolish. But an important note is that they all fell asleep. And it seems like there's this slumber right now. It's like this slumber and this denial of the times we're living in. Which is why it's so all the more important for me to preach and teach. Be ready. Be ready. Open up your eyes. Start looking to the sky. Get your heart right with God. Start finding out if there's any work you need to do leading up to this time. Is there anything he wants you to do? Is there, There's people still lost. There's people who identify themselves as Christians who are not really Christian. They, they're not actually following Jesus. It's time to get serious. So that's why I think I feel led to start talking about this stuff more and more and to start refreshing my own memory and start studying it even more. You know, when I first started doing this podcast, it was all I did. All I did was study, 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 specifically eschatology. And lately, I've, over the last year or two, I've kind of felt a little bit discouraged and thinking, well, maybe I've gotten some of this wrong. Maybe this is all just symbolic. Something interesting, I've been taking a theology course uh, at night um, as part of finishing my biblical study certificate. And one of the interesting things brought up in the uh, textbook and stuff when studying theology is that Messiah fulfilled prophecy when he came the first time and he, he filled, fulfilled them in a literal and real sense right meaning he was literally born of a virgin he was literally born in Bethlehem he was literally from the line of David he literally rode in on a donkey right like he did he literally healed blindness and illness he fulfilled all those prophecies literally Therefore, one would can conclude and assume confidently that he's going to fulfill the prophecies of his second coming literally, meaning he should literally appear in the sky. He should literally touch down on the Mount of Olives. 
He should literally reign for a thousand years from Jerusalem. Right? Like he should literally do these things. It would be silly for us to assume that he fulfilled his first coming literally, but everything's just figuratively and mysterious for the second coming. Right? There should literally be a catching up of the saints to meet him in the air. These things we should expect to happen. Let's get to Revelation chapter 7, because we still have some interesting things to talk about. It's not very long, but we're going to kind of beat a dead horse a little bit here. Revelation 7, King James Bible. Here's what it says. I'm going to read uh, through the first nine, uh, eight verses. We'll t- stop and talk for a second. Remember, in chapter 6, uh, the horsemen rode, and it ended with the people hiding in the mountains and saying, asking the rocks to fall on them, because, and it was a great earthquake, and saying, the wrath of the Lamb has come, like, hide us from his face, who can stand? And we had all these turmoil things happening within humanity, right? Famine, pestilence, war people being killed by the beast of the earth. But there hasn't been things rained down on the earth specifically yet, also annihilating the earth as well, right? It's just been kind of within humanity. Chapter 7, verse 1, And after these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor the sea, nor any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given, to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. All right, so let's stop for a second. So the... Wrath is about to be poured out in a manner that also destroys the earth. But there's angels saying, wait a second. We don't do that yet. We first have to seal the servants of God in their foreheads. It's very specific who's being sealed here. It's 144,000 from the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Here's a mistake that I keep reading in prophecy magazines and articles and pastors and teachers online and YouTube prophets, they all keep saying 144,000 Jews, 144,000 Jews. You are terribly mistaken. It does not say 144,000 Jews. It says 12,000 from the tribe of Judah. People keep associating Israel and all the 12 tribes as just Jews. Jews are descendants of Judah. Somehow, and I don't know how God's going to pull this off, but it appears that people from all these different tribes, God knows who they are, are going to be sealed in the forehead. We're going to talk about what that seal might be here in just a second. So here's what it says, And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed a hundred and forty and four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Of the tribe of Judah, that's where the Jews come from, were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Reuben, were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Gad, were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Asher, were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Naphtalim, were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Manassas, were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Simeon, were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Levi, were sealed 12,000. 
of the tribe of Ishkar were sealed twelve thousand, and of the tribe of Zubalim were sealed twelve thousand, and of the tribe of Joseph were sealed twelve thousand, and of the tribe of Benjamin were sealed twelve thousand. Okay, so twelve thousand people are from each of the tribes are sealed. This is specifically dealing with Israel and the twelve tribes that are descendants of Israel, or that make up Israel. Now, we can learn a little bit about this by going to the Old Testament and looking at when God has done something like this before, right? This is how we do it. This is how we understand these things. And so, we're going to look at Ezekiel chapter 9 here. And we're going to come up with an interesting thought uh, as it relates to the seal. Here's what it says. Ezekiel chapter 9. And he cried also in my ears with a loud voice, saying, Cause them that have charge over the city to draw near, and even every man with his destroying weapon in his hand. And behold, six men came from the way of a higher gate, which lieth toward the north, and every man a slaughter weapon in his hand. And one man among them was clothed with linen, with a rider's inkhorn by his side. And they went in, and they stood beside the brazen altar. And the glory of the God of Israel was gone up from the cherub, wherein he was, to the, to the threshold of the house. And he called to the man clothed with linen, which had the ink with the writer's inkhorn, writer's inkhorn by his side. And the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. Here's something interesting to note before we go forward. So God's getting ready to mark people, just like kind of what we read in Revelation, right? To be preserved. Notice why he's preserving these men. Set a mark on the foreheads of the men that sigh and cry for all the abominations that are being done in the midst thereof. Here's a quick point I just wanted to make. Those of you who are looking around at what's going on, and you're deeply distraught, and you're cringing when you see the filth and the evil, and you're heart is broken for the abominations that are going on right now around us. God sees that. God sees that. Blessed are those who mourn about these things. So he says, go. Put a mark. Put a mark of protection on the foreheads of those who are crying about the abominations that are being done. Verse 5, And to the others he said in my hearing, Go ye after him through the city, and smite. Let not your eyes spare, neither have ye any pity. Slay utterly old and young, both maids and little children and women. So it's a picture of wrath. And the, and the destruction is, it doesn't care what you are, who you are. It doesn't care if you're a woman, doesn't care if you're a man, doesn't care if you're old or young. But check this out. But come not near any man whom upon the mark is, and begin at my sanctuary. Where does he start? Where's, where does this wrath or this judgment start? With the sanctuary. 
That should be troubling to lukewarm Christians today. Then they began at the ancient men which were before the house, and he said unto them, Defile the house, and fill the courts with the slain. Go ye forth. And they went forth, and they slew in the city. And it came to pass, while they were slaying them, that I was on the left. And I fell on my face, and I cried, and I said, O Lord God, will thou destroy all the residue of Israel, and thy pouring out of thy fury upon Jerusalem? Then he said unto me, The iniquity of the house of Israel and Judah is exceedingly great, and the land is full of blood, and the city full of perverseness. For they say, The Lord hath forsaken the earth, and the Lord hath Lord seeth not. <laughs> Listen. I'm trying not to run out of time here, but I just have to point this out. This does this not sound like a familiar does this not sound like what we're dealing with today? It seems like people's attitude is, well, God clearly doesn't care. He's just kind of left the world to be demolished by wickedness. Or, well, we've always, you know, the scoffers, we've always thought it was the end times. God, in this instance, is mad and angry with Jerusalem because there's so much violence in the land, and there's so much perverseness in the land, and they just assume that the Lord is not paying attention. Verse 10, And as for me also, this is God talking, my eye shall not spare, neither will I have pity, but I will recompense their way upon their head. And behold, the man clothed with linen, which had the inkhorn by his side, reported the matter, saying, I have done as thou commanded me. Here's what's interesting. The mark that is being placed on their heads It is, if you're looking at it in Hebrew, the mark, it's hatav, which literally translates to the tav, okay? And it's referring to the last letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And we don't have time to go into a whole Hebraic teaching here, but the last letter of the alphabet is the tav. Here's why it's interesting, is because if you go look at the old paleo, and you can go Google this, you look at the old paleo version of that letter. So the ink, the guy with the ink is being told to go mark up and put a tav. So put the Hebrew letter tav on people's heads. At that time, Ezekiel's time, they still would have been using some form, some pictorial form, some paleo version of Hebrew. And there was three ways that that was written. Sometimes it just kind of looked like a little X, and you can see that when you go look online. Sometimes it kind of looks like a plus sign, like what you what like what you would see on the on the front of a uh, like a first aid kit. And sometimes it looks like a cross. And I don't know about you, but I find that to be awfully uh, awfully large coincidence. It's possible. And even likely what Ezekiel was seeing was a cross being written on the forehead of those who were being preserved. And that may be the very thing that's happening that we read here in the book of Revelation. Chapter 7. But what we do know for sure is these people are being marked to be preserved. Let's finish chapter 7 here. This, I think, is a great argument for a rapture before all the wrath is poured out. Here's what it says. After this I beheld, and lo, 
a great multitude which no man could number, of all nation, all kindreds, and people, and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around about the throne, and the elders, and the four beasts, and they fell before the throne on their faces, and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. One of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in robes, and whence came they? So John sees this multitude that's unnumerable. Okay? So many people, he can't number them. They're from all over the place. They're from all nations, all kindreds, all people, even all languages. So you have people from all over the earth that are suddenly in the throne room with God. Different races, different peoples, different languages. And they all have white robes and they're praising God. And one of the elders comes to John who's seeing this vision, prophetic vision, and saying, who are these people? And John's like, I don't know, you know. And so then the elder gives him the explanation. Remember, this is before the trumpets and all the vials and all this stuff happens, right? This is before that. He says, he, he says, and I said unto her, him, sir, thou knowest. And he said unto me, these are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb, which is in the midst of the throne, shall feed them, shall lead them unto living fountains of water, and God shall wipe away all the tears from their eyes. And that is how chapter 7 ends. And of course... Chapter 8 starts with the opening of the seventh seal, and then things get really wild on the earth. Not, not, not like they weren't already, but they get even more crazy. I don't have time to go into a whole discussion about the rapture today, but I promise that I will land somewhere soon on a... Like if you were going to put me in a corner and say, you have to decide, you have to pick, you have to stop being on the fence. I'll give you an answer, okay, of what I, where I've landed on that sometime in the near future. I do want to point, I do want to make this point. One of the arguments that you hear all the time, and this is particularly from people who take a very symbolic view of the Bible, meaning everything's just symbolic and allegoric, it's not literal, they will say, oh, the rapture doctrine was invented by Darby in the 1800s, and then they start bashing the Schofield Bible and all these things. That view is so chronically wrong. Okay? Don't fall for it. I'm going to prove this here in a sec. First of all, I'm not going to look it up right now, but Second Estrus talks about those who, the apocryphal book of Second Estrus, which predates the 1800s by hundreds of years, right? Even if you don't think that it belongs in the Bible or whatever, that's fine. But the rapture idea is in that book. 
and it was in the 1611 King James Bible. So right there puts that Darby argument to rest. But we can go back a lot further than that. Ephraim the Assyrian, who was identified as a church father, viewed as a church father, respected as a church father, who literally wrote in 300 AD. Okay. Uh, I, does, is, does that predate the 1800s? I'd say so. He wrote about a pre-tribulation rapture dozens of times. Let me just give you a couple examples. Here's one excerpt from the Sermon of Repentance that he gave. He says, For the elect shall be gathered prior to the tribulation, so they shall not see the confusion and the great tribulation coming upon the unrighteous world. Now, does this mean that Ephraim the Assyrian, a church father, was right? No. He might be. The point, I'm, the reason why I'm reading these to you is to prove to you that this idea long predates the Darby argument that these that people want to use. Okay, I'm not making an argument for what position I'm holding right now. I'm making an argument that the 1800 point of view is ridiculous. Here's another quote from Ephraim the Assyrian, who wrote in the 300s: "The holy and the just are chosen and gathered into the harbor of life." that they should not see the tribulations and the snares coming upon us because of our sins. When we see the saints in glory flying off in the light and the clouds in the air to meet Christ, the King of glory, but see ourselves in great tribulation, who shall be able to bear that shame and tremble of reproach? What's interesting about Ephraim, the Assyrian, is he's he seems to be down on himself and his own performance. Um, he actually identifies himself as one being left behind. Let me see if I can find that one. Here's, uh, here's another thing that he wrote on the second coming. The grace of God strengthens and rejoices the hearts of righteous of the righteous. They shall be seized up in the clouds to meet him, while those who are lazy and timid like me shall remain on the earth trembling. He kind of lumps himself into that. He, he sees himself as lazy and timid. And he points out that the righteous will be caught up, but the lazy and timid will remain on the earth. He says several more things. I'm just going to read a couple more here. I don't want to spend... I'm running out of time. Uh, once he gave a sermon on the resurrection of the dead. He says, Count us worthy, Lord, of the rapture of the righteous when they meet you, the master in the clouds, that we might not be tried by the bitter and exorable judgment. The righteousness flight is swift, lighting the righteous from the earth to heaven. He writes, uh, blessed are those who cry day and night. Remember what we wrote about, or what we just read about in uh, was it Zephaniah about the great day of the Lord? How, Or I'm sorry, Ezekiel chapter 9, where God marked those who were, who were heartbroken over what was going on. Ephraim the Assyrian says this, blessed are those who cry day and night because they shall be delivered from the coming wrath. God cares about you caring. God cares that you are distraught and disturbed and grieved by sin. He notices these things. 
Let me read one more quote from Ephraim the Assyrian before we wrap up. Let us pray the Lord in great humility that he would take us, remove us from the coming fear, and count us worthy of the snatching away. He's quoting, he's remembering Luke, where Luke, where Jesus and Luke, he's talking about the end times, and he says, pray without ceasing that you might be counted worthy to escape all of these things and stand before the Son of Man. I believe that's where he's getting this. Let me start over. Let us pray the Lord in great humility that he would take us out from the coming fear and count us worthy of that snatching away when the righteous are snatched in the clouds to the air to meet the King of glory. Ephraim the Assyrian whether he be right or whether he be wrong, we're not arguing that point. What we're arguing, or not even arguing because it's clear, is that he believed that the saints would be caught up with Jesus before the time of great temptation, before the time of great deception, before the time of wrath. And so if you're trying to figure this out and you're trying to think to yourself, wow, which is it? Don't let those who are saying, oh, this was all made up in the 1800s, make you think that this is a new idea. It's not. So if you're trying to make a decision about this, what you believe in regards to the timing of the harparzo, the timing of the catching up, uh, don't let that lie uh, be what, what makes you make a decision. I'll just put it that way. Well, that is a lot of information I've covered this morning, and I pray that I've done it justice. I pray that I've done it justice in the name of Jesus. I pray that you were encouraged and strengthened, but I also pray that there's been a fire lit underneath you. Don't be complacent with just doing nothing. Don't be complacent with just trying to pretend like things aren't happening. And hey, I'm going to be praying and calling people to pray for revival, pray for a great awakening. Right, Because that's our mission. Our mission is to share the good news and to live for Christ. It's not to hope that the wrath is tomorrow. right? In fact, the scriptures say, Woe to those who long for the day of the Lord. Meaning long for that judgment. It doesn't mean woe to them who are longing for the appearance of Christ. Okay? But... If there's anything we should pray is that God would allow us to do the work a little longer so that more people might be saved. More people might be brought into the kingdom. Peter tells us the Lord is not slack when it comes to these promises. It's just that he's patient and he's unwilling that any should perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance. That's why it's taking so long. And so my appeal to God is, please restrain the evil a little longer. Please don't let them continue to get away with this. Put some stumbling blocks in front of them that the kingdom might be, more people might be brought into the kingdom. Nevertheless, you will be done. And I pray every single day, and I have for the last decade, the prayer that Jesus commanded that I should pray that I might be counted worthy to escape all these things and to stand before the Son of Man. You can call it escapism. You can call it whatever you want. I'm just trying to be obedient to Christ. He told us to pray that and to expect that. 
Be praying for your brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering great persecution right now. Persecution of Christians is at an, as a, is at an as all time high for modern times, which is also just another sign of where we are. Pray for this podcast. The censorship is bad. We pray that this message would not get stifled. All right, I'm out of time this morning, friends. I have more plans for the podcast. I'd like to get full video going at some point here in the near future. Um, So just be praying for wisdom for me uh, on how to proceed. All right, enough rambling. Peace and grace be with all of you. And until next time, God bless.